0: Welcome to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I am your host, Michelle Gale. I'm also the author of the book by the same name, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, which you can find on Amazon. If you have happened to have read it and wouldn't mind leaving a review for me on Amazon, that would be most appreciated. You can also go to my website, to join my community at BeAMindfulParent.com. And if you listen to this podcast and love it, leaving a review on iTunes would be amazing. Last but not least, I'm going to be at a retreat on the East Coast of the U.S. this year in Pennsylvania. It's a retreat for women, May 18th through the 20th, called Rise Gatherings. You can find them on RiseGatherings.com in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania, I'll be leading multiple workshops on mindful parenting, as well as workshops on women's leadership, the mindfulness advantage in women's leadership. And if you use the code MICHELLE with two L's, you will receive $100 off your ticket price for the weekend. Thanks for being here. Welcome back to the podcast Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I'm your host Michelle Gale and I am here today with Linda Curtis. She is an author, teacher, and keynote speaker whose life experience has granted her expertise on the subject of endings large and small. As a champion of honorable closure, a learned process that honors endings, exits, and goodbyes. As a natural and dynamic part of our human experience, she mentors individuals, executives, and teams in transition, supporting them from unfinished business to dignified completion. She is a master mindfulness teacher at the Google-born Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute and an accredited ICF coach and I get to learn from Linda sometimes through search inside yourself and I also get to hang out with her because she's a friend of mine and she just has an incredible story to share she has a new book that just came out called shunned how I lost my religion and found myself and it is a page-turner welcome Linda Thank you, Michelle. Great to be with you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have you on. We've been talking about this for a while. I'm so excited Mm -hmm. to share you with our listeners. And this book is so beautiful. I just, I'm not totally done with it, but I told you I can't stop reading. I'm so excited for the end of the day to come and to settle (laughs) up in my bed and to start reading. So will you first just start by sharing a little bit about the book and what inspired Mm -hmm. it just so they can kind of understand your story a little bit? Of course.
1: So um, I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness and was just an unquestioning true believer. I started knocking on doors when I was nine years old and, you know, really organized my life. I was raised in that religion. I married someone in that religion and was really very devoted uh, to those beliefs. And the really, the story of Shunned opens as I'm an adult knocking on doors and having one of those moments those life-changing moments (laughs) uh, when your mind gets opened you're not expecting it but it happens and for me it involved an encounter at the door of somebody that I worked with Mm -hmm. um, at the time somebody that I really respected and And how old
0: were you about this
1: time around this time late 20s okay 20s early 30s yeah so a fully formed adult you know really entrenched in, in my life um as a witness and um so there was just this encounter and and in in hearing myself speak kind of had like this out of body experience where you hear yourself speaking and i heard these words that were really without being outright were somewhat condemning mm. this person who i really respected and knew to be a good person that there's like there's he's not on the right team Therefore, you know, he really needs to get on the right team, my team, the team I was representing that day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but he really needed to get on my team. And um, the encounter stayed with me. Mm. And so, just to stop there so, this was really a moment of awareness, a moment of mindfulness. This is kind of the crack where the light began to come in. So, you're standing there, and there's this person that you admire, that you care about, that mm-hmm. you believe is a good person. And you're basically having to tell them, you're bad or you're wrong or you're something bad's going to happen to you if you don't listen to me and be like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: So there's kind of a way of listening to your own thoughts. Yes. At that moment that was somewhat new. And, and I don't know if it was new as much as that. I'd never really had that thought before. Like, oh, this person is good. Do I really believe what I'm my condemnation? Do I really buy that? And then there's another component of mindfulness where once you observe the thought, not to dismiss it, but to just hold it, like, huh, even though this may be challenging something I really believe strongly, can I still hold this new idea with curiosity and wonder and see where it might take me?
0: Wow. Wow, and so what was what happened after that? So the, the the lights coming in, something new is is showing up. You're having this awareness. Then what?
1: Well, you know, it was a struggle actually because this new awareness was was really uncomfortable. It required that I really confront um, things that I'd been taught and things I would believed my whole life, and that I'd organized my whole life around. Mm-hmm. And and you know, just many people may know. Jehovah's Witnesses is people that go knocking on doors. I mean, we've all encountered that, Um, you know, and it's also jokes on late night television (laughs) about Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on doors. We all appreciate that. Um, But there is a, it is a fundamentalist uh, Christian belief, and there is an idea of an eminent Armageddon, you know, that everybody that isn't on the side of God um, could be destroyed in that physical, literal Armageddon. So I was really taught in a certain way to fear the world. Mm -hmm. And um, this was how I was raised, not really to be afraid of people, but to actually believe that if I associated or spent too much time with worldly people, with worldly ideas, worldly being anything that, that was not a belief sanctioned by the religion, that that could have a negative influence on me. So I, it was very unsettling to have these ideas now that, oh, maybe these, these people that are in the world that I admire aren't so bad after all, but you know, um, (laughs) some ideas are meant
0: to be embraced. Yeah. And how, can I ask, how did that affect you as a child? So you're a little girl, you're in school and I know you do talk about this in the book, um, how? What was that like for you? And really, I want to—I want you to share your story, having grown up as a Jehovah Witness, but also for anyone who's listening to be really listening for this as a universal lesson, right? You're young, and you believe something other people don't believe, which we mm-hmm. all have had experience with, like at, at a different extreme, of course. Mm-hmm. But what was that like for you?
1: Well, I think. Um, is the question about what was it like to grow up as a witness or what was it like to challenge the beliefs when I was older?
0: I think both. What was it like to be a little girl and to have these different beliefs and to have other people around you not believing them? Like there's some inner strength that was built Mm -hmm. within you, right? Really growing up this way and having to be brave and having to be courageous. I know you've mentioned like, what was that like? Well, you know, like,
1: like all young children, um, that have come from good homes. And I really had loving parents, siblings, and had a lot of uh, really great things growing up and, and a lot of love and um, stability. Yeah. And so, in that kind of an environment, you know, what, what your mother tells you is true is what is true. That's right. just what you believe. And you go sit in church, or in my case, in a kingdom hall, and you listen to d- different beliefs you just that's just what is so and you accept that as the truth and so that was the case for me and so I grew up believing that there was a an actual um god that he was a personage that he had a personal name and that name was Jehovah God mm-hmm. and um that anything that was asked of me to do was the right thing to do. So many people know that Jehovah's Witnesses do not celebrate Christmas, nor do they celebrate birthdays. So growing up, you know, I really didn't celebrate those things. I didn't, I didn't celebrate Christmas until I was 35. <laughs> I didn't have my first birthday cake until I was with candles on it until I was 35. Um, wow. But growing up, those just were not part of my life. And of course, when you're in school... You have teachers, you have holiday programs, you have friends in your class that have birthdays, etc. And so it was our practice to not participate in those things. And there was a part of it that was definitely uncomfortable. You know, you're the one that's not doing something. And the the thing you're not doing is usually fun. And you know me, you know, Michelle, how much I love (laughs) A good time. (laughs) yes. And so, yeah, of course, I, I felt off and, you know, odd to be different. But there was another part of me that was so sure that what I was doing was the right thing to do. And I was so sure it pleased God. And, of course, it pleased my mother. So, you know... If you're not gonna if you're making God and your mother happy at the same time, that's a pretty powerful motivator, right? Mm. <laughs> so as I was growing up, of course, I had moments when I felt uncomfortable being different. We weren't allowed to um participate in extracurricular activities, you know, to join the sports teams, you know, any of that was was highly discouraged because of the contact that would put us in with the world. Um so Wow. Those things, of course, were, were challenging, but there's another part of you that says, no, this is the right thing to do, and I stand by it. Mm.
0: And how, how did, I know you've told stories about kind of the adults around you, the teachers and people around you when you were young. Um, you know, how did they support you? You know, I had wonderful teachers,
1: and I tell a story in the book of a one Christmas event the the big Christmas program right and all the other students going to the gymnasium to watch that but I uh, because of course my mother had arranged it and I had arranged with my teacher that I could stay behind and occupy myself and um, while other people were in the session so you know it was kind of lonely but I am so grateful to that teacher and and really all the teachers throughout my growing up that were very kind and made an allowance for this religion you know um, regardless of how they might have felt about it and also various parents of of friends that I had over the years who were not witnesses you know I couldn't come to the kids birthday parties or that would still be very kind and inclusive wherever they could be and I'm just really grateful to that and I feel like that's really um, the right thing to do when you're working with children or really anybody that's going to have some kind of difference from how we are. There's this way to be inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I think is, you know, I look back on with a lot of gratitude.
0: Yeah. And I bet I could imagine a lot of people listening and we've talked about differences on other podcasts, you know, kids that have some other difference and, and they're at school, whether it's learning or, um, you know something that that's mm-hmm. different about them, and um, you know I my youngest son, as you know, has a lot of learning differences, um, but it's often very invisible, you know, mm-hmm. to others. The way that I'm sure sometimes, until families or teachers or got to know you, it's a little invisible. They don't understand it, you know, right away. Sure. And I, you know, it's it's hard, and it's hard on on my guy. You know, my son is like, I just want to, I just want to be like everyone else. You know, mm-hmm. I just. I just want to be like everyone else. And mm-hmm. I find myself journaling and, you know, sitting with, and like, what, what will best serve? You know, what is, what will best serve in this moment? Like, what do I say? How do I be right? And of course I try to be in presence and, and just hold like that sadness. And I tell him that like mm. it's hard and I know it's hard I and mean, he doesn't want to go to school. It's like, you don't understand how hard school is. And I say, no, I don't understand. You know, and we'll get through this together. Like I'm with you. I'm hmm. with you. Very important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's kind of that grounding and connection back to home. Yeah, I
1: think is really stabilizing, and also to give somebody permission to have whatever um, emotions that they're having about it. Yes, um, I think is really great. And I think you're also talking about something else, which I think is a theme we all live with is is this sense of belonging you know where do i belong where where do i feel a sense of connectedness where where do i go where i feel that i can serve and be served and um you know where where do i feel that i can rest and unfortunately for a lot of young kids growing up if you if you're different in some way there's some kind of an inner guidance where you're sensing that. Do I belong? Am I safe? Uh, you know, where can I, where do I fit? Which is human, you know, we're social animals. We, we really want to fit in. And it's a lesson of, the, of our lifetime to understand that fitting in doesn't mean we have to compromise who we are. Yeah. That we really get to be true you know, that's a, we don't really understand that necessarily when we're young. And I think that's the gift of compassionate and discerning parenting yeah. is to, um, which is a little different or a lot different, I would say, than the way I was raised is like, I was raised, you're different and it's important to stay separate. Mm. Um, and that, that I think is harmful and played out in ways that I really had to work through after I left the religion to see, my own sense of belonging, but then there's this, okay, how can we acknowledge when our kids don't feel that they belong in some way, which will happen to every, (laughs) every child, because that's just part of the growing up. But then also like, all right, trusting there is somewhere that you do belong and how to find that and how to sense it inside of your, your body. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when it's there, like, what are the sensations of knowing, ah, that I'm safe, I belong. It's okay to be me right here, right now. Whatever that me is, somebody with a challenging, a challenge in the way they take in information and learn. Whether it's a challenge in the color of their skin, um, maybe they come from a different country than where most of the other kids are. But it's it's okay to be you, and you will be loved and appreciated. Um, regardless of this and there is somewhere that you will feel at ease and um it's your job really
0: to find that place yeah yeah and and I'm also imagining as I'm listening to you just the resilience that must have been built I mean you know I'm looking for I mean, there's so you're such a strong aware courageous awake human being and and I I have to believe that Part of that was due to the struggle and getting through the struggle and mm-hmm. needing to get to know yourself and needing to be resilient resilient and I mean wow, you know you 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 were dealing with the world in such a different way than than many, many children around you, and so I'm just imagining this resilience that you developed over the years. yeah, I
1: think that's actually one of the gifts of the religion, quite honestly, is that I was one of these different kids and it required a kind of resilience. Like how can I still be a happy go lucky kid, even though I had to, you know, I couldn't go to my friend's birthday party or, you know, especially when you get into the teenage years Mm. and you start wanting to go to the dances or you want to go to the football games and all, all of that goes with even adolescence. And like, how can I still have some kind of joy in, in an environment like that. And the irony is, you know, that that strength <laughs> eventually turned into something that I used to leave the religion itself, which took a lot of strength wow. only be, you know, mainly because, um, this is a religion, unlike many, if you leave it, um, and you are excommunicated as I was the, the religious, um, position on that is that that the person that leaves is to be shunned like not no one talked to this person it's kind of a tough love um, methodology I talk about that also in my memoir like what the thinking is behind that um, you know you wow. there's few things you can do to a person that are worse than shunning them yeah I've come to think of it as a kind of emotional terrorism Mm. And, you know, shunning has been studied and it's been present in many cultures. Um, There's a guy named Kip Williams who's a researcher at Purdue University. One of the things he helped me appreciate years ago um, about neuroscience, you know, what we know about neuroscience and empathy and and differences and how that registers in the brain is so much more um, now. But... What's really true is when you are shunned by a person, the pain matrix in the brain, the same part of the brain that lights up if we are physically being hurt, is the same part of the brain that lights up when we're being shunned. Wow. It's, it's a painful thing to do. And um, so I knew that that would be the position that my parents would take and my family. I knew it would be the position that the congregation I belonged in and my long, you know, lifelong friends would take. And they did. Uh, So I really needed strength (laughs) to do that. And that strength, um, ironically, came out of the way I was raised. The strength that, um, you know, was inculcated in me over the years to be different. So this whole thing about being different, you know, it's not such a bad thing. Right. Uh, to grow up being different. It can really help us to stay true to ourselves as we get older, despite, you know, fear of disappointing other people that we love, disappointing our mothers. You know, your, your kids, uh, you know, I have two uh, stepkids that are now grown adults, but part of being a, a kid is you're going to grow up and you're going to disagree with your parents and you're going to do things that probably disappoint them and um, but good to have the strength of one's convictions to be able to do that and also to communicate how what we truly believe to our parents as we get older Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah that's all kind of a result of the way I was brought up so Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that
0: And what um, when when all of this happened when when you decided to leave the religion and you knew you were going to be shunned were there and can you remember you know, how did you prepare for that what best supported you during that transition and I'm sure you're still in that transition in some way right it probably never ends I mean you're always somewhat in that transition of of this newness from how you lived in the past and the relationships, and the connections you had in the past, but what hmm. do you feel like was, what got you through, right? We talked about the, your resilience and your willingness to be different, but what what are the other things that got you through during that time and continue to, to fill you up and feed you and, and give you the energy and the strength that you need?
1: Well, uh, first thing that comes to mind is relationships. Hmm. I was... As, as I said, was really taught not to have cl- strong, close relationships with quote-unquote worldly people, you know, that being anyone that isn't a witness. And in, in witness parlance, a worldly person, that's not a compliment necessarily. Right. That's what, those are the other people. Yes. <laughs> so other. it took a bit of, uh, one of the first things I did, and I was, I, was, I would say shrewd about this, I was careful I didn't really share this with my then husband or my family, but I did start seeing a therapist Mm. so that I had a safe place to talk about what I was thinking. And I even wanted to be sure I wasn't like crazy. Like I needed a mental health professional (laughs) to really hold me like this. What you're, what you're considering is a huge life altering change, but, um, but you're not crazy. right? Right. It's your divine right to be happy. And so to create a safe space for me then to hash out the doubts, the new doubts that had been raised and these new desires that were coming to me uh, to want to be part of the world, to start seeing the world wasn't a place to fear, but a place that might be okay to live live and move around in. So it started with that and then gradually um finding co-workers and people that were trusted and sharing with them a bit about what I was going through so that I started creating a network of a, of a few good friends that were supportive of me. And, you know, this happened over probably 18 months wow. from that first encounter to when I actually said, okay, it's time to be honest with my husband. It's time to be honest with my family This is not and for me rather than breaking away from the religion religion entirely I just decided to take a break like I just don't want to have input from this religion anymore And I don't want to go to the kingdom hall anymore. I don't want to read Anything from that line of thinking I would like to rest and give myself some space I don't know what I believe But I know that I don't believe that anymore and so It's first of all those relationships and giving myself that space and then also allowing myself to read. I I remember Louise Hay was one of the first books I read. You can heal your life, the classic, you know? Wow. Uh, Which is like, oh, there's this connection between emotions and the things we say to ourselves and the outcome that we'll get. Well, like, that's interesting. And then just opening myself up to other ideas. Uh, You know, Deepak Chopra, like, finally getting to read something about karma and hearing about karma from a, a Hindu versus hearing about karma from the Watchtower Bible and Tract society, which is going to have their own take on it, which is not complimentary. And just allowing myself to, to be exposed gradually to other ideas without distrusting them. Just saying, you don't have to believe everything. You don't have to reject or accept just notice just listen just read just try this on and see what what makes sense
0: and what was going on with your husband and your family at the time when you were exploring when you were taking a rest were did were you shunned at that point or was there some in between phase
1: there wasn't an in between phase um and it was that it was about a year um, where I moved from Portland, Oregon to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about this in the book. It was a huge uh, benefit to me. I was offered a really nice corporate opportunity and took it as I saw it as an opportunity to, to really make a fresh start in a new place. So on top of, um, really leaving my marriage, which, was really not something jehovah's witnesses do but i did uh very shocking to the whole community and to my family like she's really serious if she's doing that Um, but of course it was a blow to them and i can have compassion for the belief that their beloved daughter was going out into the world and you know risking her life like that Mm. i could die and Armageddon could come any minute and I could die. And, you know, so it's still a belief that they hold, though it's, you know, 24, 25 years later. But there was that in-between period and it was difficult. My family really didn't want to let me go. There was a lot of, please go back to the Kingdom Hall, please read, please, please, you know, just this great longing on their part for me not to wander out too far. Yeah, but of course I did because I got to a point where I just saw the religion as something that was no longer appropriate for me Just wasn't my place or a place. I felt that I belonged anymore My beliefs had changed and while I didn't have everything nailed down And you know, I believe exactly these things and I still don't um I I no longer need a black and white idea of what is yes and what is no I think life is very complicated and mysterious, and I kind of enjoy not having to have all the answers. <laughs> mm-hmm. and not, even if I could, I don't think uh, that's so healthy. Um, so it was very difficult for my family. And a year, a year and some months after having taken this break, they really had to accept that I was leaving the religion. And that's when the judicial part of the process happened, where you actually formally leave. And I was formally excommunicated. And that's when the shunning really began.
0: Mm. I'm really just getting this sense of you, you know, standing in your truth. And it feels so alive in our culture right now, right? It's Mm -hmm. 2018 for anybody listening to this a long time from now. Uh, It's 2018 and, you know, people are rising against gun violence and the youth are rising and Mm -hmm. women are rising and there's just this truth telling mm-hmm. that is really alive. And, and I'm really just connecting that right now to your story and to who you are and to this, this courage to stand in your truth, of, mm-hmm. you know, and losing everything you loved and still willing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And also you're touching on something that I think is also common is the anger. Yeah. Um, and, when this all first happened to me i i didn't allow myself to really get angry for the way i was treated and just these were my family people i loved and i really did understand what was going on in my head you know intellectually yeah so this is what people do when we do this this is what this community does but then there's this unintended experience of how it actually felt and it was Mm. really very awful. There was a lot of loss and grieving that was necessary, like you would have to do with the loss of any big relationship. So I had to grieve a relationship with God, with beliefs, with parents, you know, loved ones, friendships that ended, all of that. And and as some time went by, I allowed myself to feel the anger of, of that in a way that was healthy. Because I didn't realize... Um, that anger has its own wisdom mm. and that's something I had to learn so that I could give my per, myself permission to really feel an honest emotion and then to have that anger be guidance like information oh this is my line this is my boundary this is what I care about this is what I'll put up with this is what I will not put up with in my relationships in my you know in the way that I move about in the world and with People in the world today, some of the things you've been talking about, gun violence, social justice issues, the environment, any number of things, the passion and the anger that's positive and what's the positive side of that that can express itself and motivate us in ways that are healthy and that are useful. Because our human family is not going to solve the issues of our time unless we are grounded and centered And emotionally intelligent, and emotionally mature in how we express ourselves with each other.
0: Yeah, and I'm really hearing this work that you ended up championing around honorable closure. Mm -hmm. Um, When did that happen? Was that was that? I mean, it was. It seems to me that it must have been born through having to have this closure with your religion and your family and your friends. How Mm -hmm. did that happen? This work that you're doing around honorable closure. Uh,
1: it, it has been an evolution, um, certainly grounded in this. I realized, um, maybe about six years ago as I was, um, completing this memoir, which has sat on the shelf for a few years, obviously just, just publishing it now, but completing the memoir and reflecting on my own story, uh, leaving a religion. And then I also left my hometown and I left, had a really, really lovely corporate career and chose to leave that 16, 17 years ago to start my own consultancy with executive coaching and working with corporate leaders. And now that includes working in this domain of mindfulness and how mindfulness and emotional intelligence are powerful leadership skills. And just in reflecting on all of that, I realized that I'd I'd ended a lot of things (laughs) that maybe I was actually an expert on endings and beginnings and and in there as well, a couple deaths in the family and my own personal challenge, health issues that brought me to confronting my own mortality. And you start understanding that life is the fragility of life, the preciousness of life, and that the way that we end, ending well makes for good beginnings. That if we, if we take the time to end well, that it can set us set us up well for the next relationships, the next job, the next project, whatever it is that we're going into. Mm-hmm. And so just out of my own life experience and all the work that I've done over the years, I really I saw that there was this four-step process and it really an appreciative inquiry that anyone could use in a group format or even individually to just reflect on what's ending and to honor it at whatever level seems appropriate based on what comes out of the inquiry. Mm-hmm. And, but definitely, <laughs> definitely would not be doing that work probably if I had not, um, you know, left
0: my religion. Yeah. And I think that's such a beautiful lesson for parents to hear or learning or to inspiration that, you know, we're all struggling with things with our families and our children and mm-hmm. to just be able to, to keep that awareness and knowing that, oh, you know, and this too is going to support their growth. You know, this too is going to support who they are as a human being over, over a lifetime. It has that potential to do that. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, It has that potential to do that. And isn't there a place our listeners can go if they want to be involved in that work that you do? You have a Facebook page or can you tell us about that? I do.
1: My Facebook page is under Honorable Closure
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and uh, my website, you can find me at honorableclosure.com or lindaacurtis.com. It takes you to the same place where you can learn about my book and how to order it or where to find it. And I also have a community blog post there called The Departure Lounge. And it's a place where I uh, blog about different things I'm learning as I work with people in this process. But there's also an invitation around a monthly theme for people to submit their stories. I really think we learn from each other by, by the richness of our stories. And there's a way to submit stories that are written, but also videos or poems. Or, so I'd love for people that are listening to this to check that out and
0: please um, come be part of the community. Wow. Well, thank you. Is there anything else to do anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? The book is the book is available. Shunned how I lost my religion and found myself. You have this Facebook community and and an online community. Is there anything else we're missing that we want to share? Well, I
1: think that's a good start. Come come sign up to receive a newsletter, or a little bit about me from time to time. No boring emails, I promise. I know how busy <laughs> everyone is. <laughs>
0: Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Linda, thank you for sharing yourself so vulnerably in your book and with our listeners. And I'm, I'm really hope a lot of this reaches far and wide, this book, you know, may it reach far and wide. I think it's such a support to so many. Yes. Thank you, Michelle. Great to be with you. Yeah. And you're just a great storyteller. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. And to say goodbye to Linda and say goodbye to our listeners. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards yourself and others.
1: Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. Michelle's new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, is now available at Amazon and at mindfulparentingbook.com. Get your copy today.